Thanks for checking out the Christian Life Austin podcast. If this is your first time listening, make sure to check us out at clcaustin.com for more info on how you can connect with us. We trust that you will enjoy today's message. Thank you for listening. I'm speaking tonight on uncivilized, untamed, uncaged. Brother Brad started this with the cage of guilt. I came back the next week. We talked about the cage of routine, how to how that we get into routine. Routine is good, but you can't just stay in it every now and then. You've got to have one of those zest moments in your life. Then last week, we talked about the cage of the fear of failure. We talked about failure last week. And tonight, we're going to talk about the cage of fear. Now, I know that you think it's intertwined with what we preached about last week, but not at all. We're going to talk about the cage of fear tonight. And then next week, we're going to talk about the cage of assumption. And this series will conclude next week, and we're so excited that you have made it here for the fourth Wednesday night of this beautiful series. I've enjoyed this series. Two psychologists from the University of Michigan, William Gehring and Adrian Willoughby, did a study published in Science Magazine a few years back. Volunteers that they had wore electrode caps, and they engaged in a computer-simulated betting game. The electrode caps recorded changes in brain electrodes electrical activity in response to winning and to losing. And with each bet, the medial frontal cortex showed an increase in activity. But what intrigued researchers was this. They found that medial frontal negativity showed a larger dip after a loss than the rise in in the medial frontal, frontal cortex positivity after a win. In other words, the loss showed greater than the win. And during a string of losses, the medial frontal negativity dipped lower with each loss. So in essence, each loss was compounded by the previous loss. The significance of that is this. Neurologically speaking, losses loom larger than gains in people's lives. Put it another way. The aversion to loss of a certain magnitude is greater than the attraction to gain of the same magnitude. Now... With all that in your head, I think that, that neurological study has huge spiritual ramifications. In fact, I think that the aversion to loss is why we fixate many times on the sins of commission. Don't do this and don't do that. But we often ignore the sins of omission. What we should have done or what we could have done or what we would have done. Maybe that's why many of us approach the will of God so defensively. We have this better safe than sorry mentality. I'm going to preach tonight to you. I wonder if that's why the church is more often known for what we're against than what we are for. Because we're continually playing defense instead of playing offense. And I would suggest tonight in this church and the churches around America that we need a paradigm shift. We need to change. Church needs to quit playing not to lose. And we need to start playing to win. Amen. Clap your hands. See, we need need to fear missed opportunities more than we fear making mistakes. We must get on the offensive. And this cage that I'm speaking about tonight is found in 1 Samuel 14. In fact, One of my favorite beginning chapters of all the Bible is 1 Samuel chapter 14. 
I want to pick up the last verse of 13. It says, the pass at Michmash had meanwhile been secured by a contingent of the Philistine army. But in 1 Samuel chapter 14, the Bible says, One day, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. But Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. I'm not sure of the significance of that, but I do love people who just go out and do what others are just talking about doing. You don't have to call a press conference every time you do something in the kingdom of God. Verse 4 said, on each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes and the other was called Sena. And one cliff stood to the north toward Michmash and the other to the south toward Gibeah. And Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, you got to love this, come, let us go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. I put it on the screen. Perhaps, say it with me, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. He didn't even have an assurity. He said, perhaps. He said, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And the armor bearer said, do all that you have in your mind. Go ahead. I am with you, sir, heart and soul. Now, it's tough, folks, to psychoanalyze someone who lived thousands of years ago. But I think it's safe to say that Jonathan had a sanctified medial frontal cortex. I think his mind was made up. He did not let fear dictate his decision about life. For advancing the kingdom was greater than his fear of failure. And an attraction to gain was greater than his aversion to loss. So he said, I'm not worrying about defense right now. I'm just worrying about getting on the offense right now. And somebody... Somebody, if he'd have looked at Jonathan that day, would have said, the boy is losing his mind. He courageously climbs the cliff of Michmash, picks a fight with the entire Philistine army. And I love the way the New Living Translation captures this story. It is called Jonathan's Daring Plan. I love it. Now, I'll be honest. Part of the reason I love Jonathan's Daring Plan is because it makes me feel better about my bad ideas sometimes. (laughs) Really. This has, to, has got to be the worst military strategy, strategy I've ever heard of in my life or read of. It's the worst. If you read the next few verses, you discover that Jonathan's plan was basically this. Hey, armor bearer, come on. See, there's just two swords in Israel. Jonathan has one and Saul has one. Everybody else just has these. That's it. Just two swords because they were not ready to fight. He said, let's expose ourselves to the enemy in broad daylight and then let's concede the higher ground also. Then he comes up with this sign thing. Verse 9, he says, if they come down to us, that'll be our sign that God's with us. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm making up the signs here because I want to do the exact opposite now. Verse 10, if the Philistines say to us, come on up, we'll climb up because that that will be our sign that the Lord has given given them into our hands. Now, I've got to be honest, folks. I read this story, and I'm not that courageous. Is anybody in this house with me? I don't see myself really in this story and uh, it really hit home this week in my life when I was studying this. My grandson 
is a Nerf gun collector. He is five years old. I'm sorry, I got to tell you this. He's five years old, and right now he has over 25 Nerf guns in his house. And he's wanting a a case. (laughs) He's wanting a gun case for his Nerf guns. He never comes to Bo Daddy's house without plenty of bullets. And he just stands behind the door, and he's the sniper. He just takes us out. Now, it doesn't hurt, but you'll be sitting there maybe watching a little baseball or something or talking to the kids, and bam, something hits you upside the head. (laughs) And I pull the Bo Daddy tag. I'm Bo Daddy, and I pull the Bo Daddy. I said, Windsor, listen to me. I am not the enemy. I probably bought you that gun, son, and if I didn't, Pops bought that gun for you. That's Keith. Don't use it on the man that purchased it for you. I'm your friend. Cling to the cross, son. Cling to the cross. I'm your friend. He gets tickled. He'll forget that, and he'll shoot me again later. I might say that I'm not, I'm not into getting hit with foreign objects, okay? It just bothers me. But I love this passage. It's a real scenario. They're using real weapons. They have real ammo. They're really outnumbered. Jonathan and the armor bearers outgunned. And it took courage for him to climb to the top of this cliff after exposing himself to the enemy. So here's the $64,000 question. What motivated Jonathan to climb that cliff? What motivated him? What gave him courage to go on the offensive? And how did he know it was quote unquote God's, God's will? I think it's impossible to know exactly what thoughts were firing across the synapses of his, of, his, of his brain right now. But the verse does reveal Jonathan's gestalt. Now, there's a good word. Everybody say gestalt. Wow. as a word there. Say it with me again, gestalt. I had to go to the audio dictionary to see how to pronounce it. <laughs> I read it that Jonathan had a gestalt, a gestalt, and I said, I don't even know what that word is. And these little boys that spelled the other day on ESPN could spell it without even thinking about it twice because that's an easy word. But here I didn't know what it was. But it's a mindset. It's a paradigm. It means simply he is unified whole. Everything in him is saying, I'm going to win today or I'm not going to live today. I'm going to go forward. I'm going to conquer I'm going to be what God wants me to be. If I have to make up signs and say, come on down, I'll fight you here. Or come on up, I'll fight you there. I have made up my mind. This day, I'm unified. My whole body's unified. And I'm moving forward. I think sometimes in our life, can I preach right now? That some of us need to say, no more devil. No more. No more problems of running fear in my mind. Fear... You're no longer a part of my life. I am unified. I am whole. I'm walking in victory. I'm walking in triumph because I will be complete in victory today. Oh, let me preach sometime in your life, folks. Sometime. I know I'm getting loud. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get loud. Let me get back to Methodist. I'm so sorry. But let me say something. Let me say something. Sometime in your life, you've got to say no more. Sometime in your life, you've got to say, that's it. Here I am. Come down if you want some of me. If you don't, that come on. I'm going to come on up if you want me up there. But today, I've got a gestalt in my head. 
I'm unified. I'm whole. I've had a paradigm shift. I've run from you for the last time. You have pushed me around for the last time. It's me and Jesus, and I've got a good thing going with him, and I will be victorious in the name of the Lord today. Somebody clap your hands real big. I'm going up today. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Say it, perhaps the Lord. I love this modus operandi. I love it. Here's a personal conviction statement I want to give you. Education is not what's lacking in the church. It's really not. Many of us are educated beyond the level of our obedience, and you know that. Nor do I think it's the lack of resources. I appreciate everybody that's ever given. Keep giving. This is a resource church in the most resourced country the world has ever known. You want to know what I think the most thing that is lacking? It's good old-fashioned guts. It's just saying, not in my house. Not with my kids. Not with my family. Not with my church. Good old-fashioned guts to live in faith. To climb the cliff. I'm sorry to use that term on Wednesday night. To engage the enemy and to realize that we're involved in something that is a matter of life and death. For the cause of Jesus Christ. Clap your hands. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that. So here's the good news. Here's the good news. I don't think in most scenarios our lives are on the line. I really don't. But passivity, folks, is not an option. It's really not. And I think God is causing us to play offense. And I love the story. It tells me that the will of God is not an insurance plan It's a daring plan. And that the will of God may involve a daring, difficult, dangerous decision that might seem unsafe and insane to others. But the Holy Ghost makes you do strange things in the world's view sometime. Hallelujah. Like saying, get thee behind me, Satan. I know that people don't understand that phraseology. But I got news for you. He doesn't need to be in front of you, on the side of you. If he's anywhere, he's got to be behind you. Because we're going forward, come on, in the name of the Lord. Somebody help me preach. If people would have saw Jonathan that day, they would say he's crazy. He's flat out crazy. He is gone crazy. Look what happens. One daring decision, one shift in the momentum creates a tipping point. And in 1 Samuel chapter 13, the Bible said, so the Lord saved Israel that day. You got that scripture? So the Lord saved Israel that day. Because one person made a move. One person did one thing that made a difference. 20th century missionary C.T. Studd, S-T-U-D-D, said this. Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. The church needs, pardon the expression, more studs. We need more people with stand-up. We need more people that won't wilt when the pressure comes. We are living in uncertain days. And we don't need to be caged by fear. Can somebody help me preach right now? We need to come out of that cage of fear. I read a story about a woman named Winchester one day. Her boy died, and then her husband died within a year of him. Yes, the inventor of the Winchester rifle, the Winchester firearms. 
And a soothsayer, a, a seer came to see her and talk to her, a fortune teller, and told her that she would have to build onto her home for the rest of her days or she would die suddenly like her husband and her son had died. And so this person began to take money from her and build onto her house. If you go to California, the Winchester Mansion is still there. And there's stairways that lead nowhere. And there's doors that open to walls. It don't even have a plan. It's just building, just building here, building there. And it goes all in all different directions. And she allowed that man to take money from her till today she died because he was taking away the evil spirits by letting her build. And here's what I want to tell you. If you don't get past the cage and get out of the cage of fear, the house you're living in is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Somewhere in your life, oh, let me preach right now. You're going to have to fire the soothsayer. You're going to have to fire the seer and say, no, fortune teller, you're not going to tell me that fear is going to dominate my life. I'm going to live in faith and I'm going to live with God because if God is for me, (laughs) who can be against me? Hallelujah. The will of God is not about easy things. Where did we get that? I think we made a false assumption about the will of God. I think we've assumed that it should get easier the longer we follow Christ. Now, I want to suggest that some of the things that I used to think were difficult are easier the more you practice them. And one of them is tithing. I remember when I first got my first job, I was 16 years old. Daddy took me to work on December the 28th. I turned 16 on December the 28th, and he said, you're going to work, son. He had already asked Mr. Jones, Mr. Winston Jones at Furs Supermarket where I could sack groceries. He said, when my boy gets 16, he said, I want him to come to work, and you're going to hire him, Mr. Jones. So we went, to, we went to the store that day, and he said, Mr. Jones, my boy's 16. Put him on. He said, go get an apron, son. We're going to teach you how to sack groceries and stock groceries. So help me, God, I did that until I was almost out of college. But it just got in me. And tithing was a, was a tough thing because, you know, when you make $2.60 an hour, it's kind of tough, and, you, and you, you know, you want a little gasoline because there's a pretty girl you want to take out, you know, you, you know what I'm saying? And I dated about five, had about five dates in high school. I was really, really, a, really a man, you know. <laughs> and it was all two, two things. I just didn't date. I didn't think nobody wanted to date me, so I just kind of, I loved everybody, but I didn't think nobody loved me, and everybody was having dates, and I was just solo. <laughs> but then that offering plate would pass around, and I'd say, oh, God. And daddy say, son, did you pay your tithes? I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir, I did. What'd you pay, son? Well, daddy, I made $27 this week. I paid, what'd you pay, son? Tell me. I paid $2.70, dad. Why didn't you pay three, son? Why didn't you bless God a little bit more? <laughs> well, daddy, I'm sorry. I'll do it next week. Okay. My daddy taught me. It's all right to give God a little more. And the second thing that I learned that's easier now is to trust the promptings of the Holy Ghost. I used to think, you know, when God said, pray for that person, I'd say, oh, God, what if they don't get healed? <laughs> I didn't tell you they wasn't going to get healed. I said, pray for them. You do the praying, I'll do the healing. That's how it works. Amen. And, and, and somewhere along the line, I learned this thing. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. So many have the opposite modus operandi. Perhaps the Lord won't act on our behalf. And we're foot of of the cliff dwellers. We just don't have the guts to climb because what if God doesn't act? What if I step out and he doesn't do anything? Well, you're going to be there a long time and nothing exciting is going to happen. And I wonder if that's why a lot of us have bored faith and our faith has become bored. I have never tried to get ahead of God. Perhaps Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. But we're in a church right now.
that started with about 35 adults and about 15 kids 26 years ago. And now we're running three services on Sunday. And we've got a Spanish work and the Spanish pastors in the building tonight. <laughs> Hallelujah. And we might, we might be zoning in on a building for that Spanish work. Oh, hallelujah to God. I'm telling you, I'm excited, folks. If y'all, if y'all would get off vacation a little bit and just come be with me right now. I know some of you have already checked out, but I'm preaching to you right now. I just believe that God is fixing to burst something in this church. There's going to be a burst forth. It's going to be like a, a Coke fizz. It's going to go bam. It's going to fizz because God is getting us ready for one of the greatest moves of faith we've ever had in our life. He's prepared us. He's brought us to the kingdom for such a time as this. And we're not going to cower in the cage of fear. We're coming out of it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I just believe that at the if God is blessing something, we better double our efforts to make sure of a couple of things. Number one, that we keep doing what got us here. Prayer, worship, preaching, singing, coming to church, living right, doing the right thing. Got us here. And number two, that taking some risks that got us here to the point now that sometime it'll tempt us to play it safe. We didn't play it safe to get here. We built this church on a wing and a prayer. We didn't have enough people to build this church. In fact, many people said, Pastor, we're going to look like a BB in a boxcar when we get in that church. But we're not a BB in a boxcar. We never did. I remember when we was all in here on a Sunday night. We used to have Sunday night church, and we'd have about 250, 300 people. And I got busy. I got preaching one night, and I went up in the balcony, and I said, we're here. We're going to be here one day. We're going to come. The balcony's going to be filled. Little did I realize that it was going to be quicker than I thought. But perhaps the Lord will work on our behalf. Perhaps he will help us in this hour of preaching. Amen. I believe that when you cast your bread on the water, it's going to come back to you after many days. What you cast out is what you're going to get. And you hear me. You listen to me real good. God's not finished with this congregation. We're just getting started in a process of growth like we've never imagined in our lives. Clap your hands and say amen to that. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. Anything short of multiplication, trying to reproduce what God is doing on a macro level is spiritual laziness. We're not going to stop doing what God wants us to do. Why is the wrong question? We have to operate with a mentality that perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. I've shared this before. I need to be careful. Sometimes I get on a rabbit trail. I get excited about things. And I preach and I say things and I say, what in the world did I do saying that? So I wrote it down. Because I can get outside the box preaching. But we need to grow to a point so we can give. This church needs to be given a million dollars a year to missions. I'm going to say it again. Our budget. Our budget does not reach that now. We can't give a million dollars a year. Yes, we take in more than that, but we cannot give a million a year to missions right now. But I think we need to grow to the point where we can give a million a year. So the Lord has been talking to me. Maybe we could launch a coffee house. Hallelujah. Right down on 6th Street. So people that were drunk in those bars could come into a Holy Ghost coffee house. And get sobered up and have somebody say, you know, there's a better way. And we'd serve them some donuts and some ice cream, bluebell perhaps. 
or perhaps a mom and a pop sandwich shop all under the auspices of the church to bring the gospel to the city and monies to mission. I believe with all my heart that God wants us to do everything within our means to raise our budget, to do what we need to do for the kingdom of God. And if you're not a giving, you're not living. You need to start giving like you've never given in your life. But this church needs to reach dimensions we've never reached in our life. We're not going to settle in this hour and say that's all we're going to do. We're not just going to come and say fill her up, bud. We're going to come and say I'm a part of the church. I'm going to show myself to the enemy. And I'm going to say I'm coming where you are. And we're going to take your territory. And we're going to win the victory. And God's going to establish a church to a greater dimension in Austin, Texas than he ever has before. Clap your hands and rejoice to that right now. I believe it. I got to hurry. I got to hurry. So let's flip a coin. You got Jonathan climbing cliffs. Take a look at his dad. The very next verse, 14 and 2 said, Meanwhile, Saul and his good men and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Gibeah around a pomegranate tree at Migron. What a study in contrast. Verse 1, Jonathan's climbing. Verse 2, Saul's eating pomegranates. What Saul didn't do was just as significant as what Jonathan did do. His son's climbing cliffs, engaging. Saul's sitting under a pomegranate tree on the outskirts of Gibeah. This is funny to me. I see Saul out there popping them pomegranates, eating them. Got somebody fanning him, chilling him down a little bit because he is the king. And the Philistines control the pass that they need to control at Michmash. And Jonathan's burdened about it. And he's on the sideline instead of the front line. Hallelujah. And it's not the only time that he didn't lead. He stood head and shoulders above every man in Israel. It wasn't the only time he didn't lead. David had to fight a giant for him back in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And Saul was not playing to win, but playing not to lose. But I want this to come across as more of a challenge than a criticism. But whenever I preface something with I love you, get ready, okay? I love you. Here we go. I love you, but here's the deal. I just wonder sometimes if we haven't turned church into a spectator sport. I think many churches are a lot like the Israelites who told Moses, go climb up that mountain, Moses, Sinai. And you go talk to God. You climb the mountain. You talk to God. That's fine. And then when you come back, you tell us what he said. See, we want someone to seek God for us, Moses. We want somebody to pray for us. We want somebody to study for us. We want somebody to make decisions for us. And if we aren't careful, we unintentionally foster a subtle form of spiritual codependency. And that's not what God wants in our lives today. He wants every man to have a relationship with Jesus Christ for himself. Can somebody say amen to that? And not, Pastor, I've got to have you praying for me all the time. Or ministry, I've got to have you praying. No, 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 no. I've got the God of heaven in my life. I'm full of the Spirit in my life. And greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Does anybody believe that in this house tonight? I love to preach to people. I love to bring the gospel to people, but I want you to understand everybody has a part of this thing called Jesus Christ in your life. Sitting in church is not the barometer of spiritual maturity. The Bible said, forsake not the assembling yourselves together. We need the synergy that we experience when we come to church. But church is where we get our tanks full and church is where we hear messages and hear the word and church is where we come to worship 
But that's not God's ultimate dream for our lives. Amen. It's possible we've turned church into an end instead of a means to an end. Because I think it's here that we rally the troops. It's here where we get recharged spiritually. But it's when we go outside these walls that we make this thing work. Setting in church, setting in church is not the height of spirituality. This may be a little, there may be a little salt in all of us. God defeat the enemy while I sit under this tree. Do it for me, Lord. He's not going to do that. Here's one of my core values. I want to put it on the screen. Pray like it depends on God and work like it depends on you. Everybody say pray like it depends on God and work like it depends on you. Sometimes you've just got to get up and do something or nothing will happen. If Jonathan hadn't climbed the cliff and gazed the enemy, picked a fight, so to speak, the status quo was going to remain. At the end of the day, God's not going to say, well said, good and faithful servant. He's not going to say, well thought, good and faithful servant. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. So let's get practical. I'm not far from finishing. Let's get practical. How can we climb the cliff? How do we climb the cliff? Glad you ask. It might not be halfway around the world, this cliff that we're talking about. It might be going down the hallway. It might be right across your desk at your office, maybe across the dorm hall. It may be somebody that you just encourage at a store one day. But it's time for us to get out of the fear cage and start operating in the gift of the spirit that God has given us. Amen? Amen. There's some of you that need to operate in the word of wisdom to people. You need to operate in understanding. You need to operate in faith with people. You need to let them know that you have something in your life that can help change their life because you're representing something greater than you could ever imagine in your life. Amen? Amen. Let me give you a couple of ways to play offense. You might want to write some of these down. And I know this sounds real crazy because this sounds like a Jonathan thing now. But I'd love to see little CLC church cards all over the city. I'd like to go in. I got, I got a cleaners over here on, 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 a, on William Cannon. Sweet cleaners, I use them. If you go over there and tell them that, you know, Pastor Rex Johnson, they're liable to clean your clothes. They won't give you a discount. They're liable to clean your clothes. <laughs> I think that's a cool idea. They got little cards in there of everything. And, and the next time I go in there, it just hit me today. This church ought to be advertised in that cleaners. If they can advertise insurance agents, they can advertise church because I get my clothes clean there. I think tithing is a great way to play offense. Pastor, if I give more, I'll have less. No, you won't because God can do more with the 90% than you can do with the 100%. If your finances are born or dull, you need to start tithing. It'll give you a spiritual adventure. (laughs) It really will. The Bible said give and it will be given. Say it with me. Good measure, heaped up, pressed down, shaken together. And running over, he's going to pour it into you. You see, tithing redeems that financial part of your life and takes the stress away. Because God says, test me in this and see if I won't come through for you. Missions trip, what a great way. What a great way to play offense. We, we had a mission trip planned in Haiti, in Haiti uh, uh, last year, a couple of years ago. And they had that horrible, horrible earthquake. And we didn't get to go. But I still, I still have this passion and burden for Haiti. I really, really do. And I think that this church needs a CLC orphanage in Haiti. I think this church needs to provide one. And you know what? We can do that. Why don't we just go ahead and bow our neck and say we're going to do that in the name of the Lord. Amen. Why don't we be a part of that missions program and help Brother Benit June and help some of the pastors over there in Haiti. Why don't we make that happen? Here's another way. Here's another way. It's time to start speaking about another location. 
That's how you get on the offense. Our locations. How about plural? How about having a how about having a campus up north? How about having a campus on the east side? How about having a campus on the south side? How about having campuses all over this place? I'm going to tell you something. I don't know how I look on video. I don't know, but I'd try to preach to everybody in the world on video if y'all think I could do it and I wasn't too ugly to do it. I'd try my best. It is time for this church. I know, I know you think I'm chasing rabbit trails. I'm really not. I really believe that this church, 2016, needs to launch some things in the Holy Ghost and climb some mountains and climb some cliffs and take on the enemy and say, we can do this. Hallelujah. It's time for CLC to play offense. I have some life goals. One of them is that everyone in Austin will know the name of Jesus. And will know that at a church called Christian Life Church, they can meet that Savior. And that church still believes in the infilling of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Come on, say amen to that. When you set goals in the context of prayer, it will change your life. Parents, it's time to get on the offensive. I'm not going to let our culture raise my grandkids. I didn't let culture raise my kids. And now it's my grandkids' turn. I frustrated myself when I raised my daughters because I I played a lot of defense instead of playing offense. And I got reactive. So I don't want to give any impression of any measure of perfection whatsoever in my life. But I will tell you this. What I learned raising my daughters, I'm going to take it to school raising my grandkids with all the help I can give my children. I'm playing offense. I want my grandkids to grow up thinking that the Lord is the greatest thing that ever happened in their life. Hallelujah. That Jesus is the best thing that could ever happen to them. That the Holy Ghost is the greatest experience you could ever have in life. That being in church is the greatest thing that ever took place in their life. And I want my grandkids to grow up praising God. My little grandson graduated from from preschool the other day. And he's the only one that said, I want to be a preacher and a chef. And the little teacher said, you know what, Windsor? You know what? The teacher said, Windsor, I'll come and hear you preach and you cook me a meal after dinner, after, after the service. We'll have a whole day sucker, uh, supper together, all right? And Windsor got an applause because he wanted to be a preacher. I'd rather my kids love Jesus than be anything massive in this world. God's gonna bless them. God's gonna anoint them. And I'm ready to take the offensive with your children. Let's get our kids revived. Let's get our kids living for God. It's time, it's time to come out of the cage of fear and climb that mountain offensive in our life. Hallelujah. 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 I won't take time, but some of you have got to find a way to play offense in your relationships in your life. You've got to quit being defensive with your wife and with your husband and with your children. You've got to be offensive. One last word of encouragement. I know you are sitting here thinking, I'm not Jonathan. That's a great story, but it's not me. Well, there's someone else in the story, and it's the armor bearer. And that's what I love about this story. Without the armor bearer, Jonathan couldn't do what he did. It says, Jonathan said to the armor bearer, come up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. And I'm closing. And Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet as his armor bearer. 
came right behind him doing the same thing. And together, they wreaked havoc for the kingdom. The Bible says two is better than one. Because when one is down, the other is up. You need a, you need a, you need a, you need a partner in your life. Brethren, you need a man in your life. You need somebody to pray with you. Lady, you need a lady in your life. And husband and wife, you need each other in your life. When my wife needs prayer, I don't want her to have to go no place else. I put my arms around her and I pray for sweet Patty. When I need prayer, Patty puts her arms around and we pray together. Amen. Don't be so removed from your family that you can't pray for your family. That you can't love on your family. Your kids need to have a, have a solace and a safe place to come to when they're having trouble in school or having problem with the situation. They need to have big old arms to come to and you've got to get offensive and say, honey, the Lord God's going to help us through this. Come on. He's going to help us through it. I'm, I know I'm preaching tonight. I hope I'm helping somebody, but God's going to help us. God's going to be our help. God's going to be our strength. God's going to be our strength. Here's what's great. Not everybody can be a Jonathan, but you can be an armor bearer. You can be a part of what God's doing. See, I, I just think this greatest dream ever dreamed was the Great Commission. Who are you there for? Make disciples of everyone. You're a part of something bigger than you. More important than you. And you may feel like you don't know where to play offense or what to do. But listen, you're a part of the greatest dream ever dreamed. So we have a cliff to climb. It's about living our faith out on a daily basis. Not just coming in here in the word. Let me give you, let me give you something real. I want to share a couple of my fears with you because I have them. When I published my first book in 2004, I felt this tremendous release of my spirit. And it just blessed me. And it's in the fourth or fifth edition now. But I have written over 120 pages on my second book. But there's a fear. I'm going to confess it. That it will not have the punch. Or reach the hearts of people the way the first book did. And I find myself stymied. And I go back and forth. Do I call it this? Do I do this? Do What do I do? And I call the man today that helped edit the story of the book. My first one. He's a creative writer. Genius. He helped me with the wording. And he said, you know what, Pastor, when I was there with you those 12 years, it was like, it was like Amos and Andy. It was like Laurel and Harley. I said, man, you've got some great combinations here, okay? <laughs> he, said, he said, I would work. He said, I taught in three universities, but I would come and we'd go to Serrano's and we'd sit there. And he said, You'd pour out to me and I'd record and then I would write and then we'd meet again and say, how many fajita dinners did you buy me? I said, too numerous to tell, but I'll tell you in glory, son, when we get there. He said, but when I moved away, he said, I'm a writer and I'm, I'm afraid of writing. I've got a fear. I've got a phobia. That I will not be received with my own book. Like I was received helping edit your book. You know what we did today on the phone? We prayed for each other on the phone. I'm sorry. I'm just being totally transparent with you. We prayed today because everybody has those cages. 
And I want want to make a difference. I want somebody to know that somebody passed through this life and loved people and wanted to pastor people to a greater level than they were when he got into their lives. The Bible said he's not giving us a spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. And I close with this. Would you stand to your feet all over the building? You're some of the most awesome people that I've ever preached to in my life. And tonight, I just, I'm very burdened for you tonight. Henry James once wrote a story titled The Madonna of the Future. It was a story about an artist who devoted her entire life to a single painting. And when she died, it was discovered that the canvas was still blank. She had never finished because she never started. Lord Acton, a 19th century historian, said power tends to corrupt. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. He was a prolific thinker. He was authoring numerous lectures, essays, and reviews. But he never published a book. In fact, he referred to his life work. He had a title, A History of Liberty, as his Madonna of the Future, borrowing the phrase from Henry James. Many have described it as the greatest book that was never written. A history of liberty. And in the words of Daniel Borstein, Lord Acton was always discouraged by the imperfection of his material. He always delayed his unifying work by the promise of new facts and new ideas still to come. And Bornstein said Lord Acton knew too much to write. And thus his life work, the culmination of everything he had ever learned and experienced became the Madonna of the future. Here's my question to this congregation tonight. What's your unpainted canvas? What is your unwritten book? What God-given dream is collecting dust on your shelf? What God-ordained passion remains caged in a cage of fear? What fear is keeping you at the bottom of the cliff? I have no idea what the Madonna of the future is in your life. But here's what I do know. You'll never finish what you never start. I think it's where many of us get stuck. So I'm going to ask you tonight to invite God into the reality of your life. Discern the cage you're in and then let God be God. He said 2,000 years ago, come follow me. Challenge yourself tonight. Climb the cliff. Get proactive. Become Become active and not reactive. And understand that there's a cliff for all of us to climb. And I'm going to say it. I'm going to go ahead and say it because I've I've opened my soul to you tonight. So you have to open yours to me. I hadn't preached like this in a long time to this church. But I want to say something else to you. Some of you are having a hard time throwing away habits. Because you think you have to have that habit. You can't function without that habit. Hell has lied to you. He's lied to you. And you can function without that habit. And you know what? Some of you got habits that if you quit doing those habits, you could buy a brand new furniture for your house. You could probably buy a brand new car and take me riding in it and buy me some fajitas at Serrano's. Or Bluebell at H-E-B. But what I'm trying to say is, 
Hell has made you think you can't get out of that cage. But in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ tonight. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ tonight. I'm coming out of my fear cage. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Don't just let it be a song. Let it be a salutation in your heart. Come on, lift your hands all over the house and let's praise Him. Let's love Him with everything that's in us. Come on, open your mouth wide. Open your mouth wide. Let the Holy Ghost saturate your soul right now. Let the power of God initiate in your life right now a brand new way of thinking, a brand new way of living, a brand new way of walking. Come on, let it happen. You're not going to be defensive any longer. You're going to be offensive. You're going to walk away from the things that want to destroy you. And you're going to walk to the things that want to help you and secure you and strengthen you in the name of the Lord. Come on now. 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 Get wholly committed. Get your whole body in this thing. Get everything going forward. Come on. Get a gestalt in your life. Get everything going forward. Move forward in the name of the Lord. Don't be divided. Move forward. Watch what Jesus can do in your life. Thank you for loving me and letting me preach a while tonight. I truly love this church. Wow. I guess you could call that my summer, first summer state of the church address tonight. Because I feel that we don't need to be captive to fear. No more. No more. Husband, take your wife by the hand. Whomever you're sitting by there tonight or standing by tonight, take their hand. I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. I feel the Spirit of the Lord in this house right now. And God's moving in this house. God's moving in this house. You feel it? Don't you feel him? The word, the word has taken root in your soul. You, you've received it with faith and it's taken root in your soul here tonight. Amen. It's time to get offensive in your life. It's time to get offensive in your life. Let's pray together. Dear Father, help us tonight individually. And that concludes today's message. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news to register for an upcoming event or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.